welcome to a Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette Features podcast. I'm Lara Jo Hightower, and we are so excited. We have a really full room today. We're talking to the cast and designers of Theater Squared's new show, Anne, which officially opens tonight, right? That's correct. But you've had two preview performances on Wednesday and Thursday. Um, Anne is a one-woman show written by Holland Taylor about the witty and wonderful Texas politician Anne Richards. So I'm, I'm going to start out by just going around the table, and if you guys can tell us who you are, what you do on the show, and maybe where you're based as well. Let's start with Kim. Hi, I'm Kim McKean. I'm the director of the show, and I'm based in El Paso, Texas. I'm Megan Riley. I'm the lighting designer, and I'm in Minneapolis. Hi, I'm Sally Edmondson. I'm playing Anne Richards, and I'm based in Houston. Uh, I'm Sam Clapp. I am the sound designer, and I live in Chicago. So, uh, and Megan, if I'm not mistaken, you have a connection to Texas as well, right? You Yes, you I ex- lived in Austin for 11 years. You did. So we have a, a lot of people connected to this sort of Texas polit- politician theme that we've got. Um you, let me ask, let me start out. I'm always curious about this. How did Wednesday and Thursday go? Were there any surprises? Anything unexpected happen? Or how were the shows? Well, from my standpoint, I thought they were, I mean, each night has just been a giant leap forward. And I think one of the greatest um, additions is the audience. Because particularly in a one-person show, the audience they're, they're always key, <laughs> but in a one-person show, they are essential. And um, to be able to play off that energy and to just have, you know, humans in there that I can connect with and, and, and try to inspire. So. When you and I talked last week, you talked a little bit about how in a one-person show, the audience almost becomes the second cast member. They really do. You. They uh, can, really do. Can you share a little bit about that, about how um, you performed this role in 2018? I, yes, yes. And you had a little bit of feedback from the audience during... Oh, yes. I, I, I mean, I, I... And in fact, last night, it happened. Um, I, had, I had told Kim uh, that in Houston, there's a, there's a segment where I... Um, I sort of tease the audience about how, uh, what bawdy stories that my father told, and particularly dirty jokes, and so I sort of tease them with it. And I said, "Oh no, no, no! I can't. I, you know, I can't tell you one." And last, this would happen in Houston quite regularly, but last night they said, "Oh yes, you can." <laughs> <laughs> So that was great fun. <laughs> That's when you really know the audience is with you. That's right. <laughs> um, well, let's start out by talking a little bit. I'm sure all of you did research for this show. Can we, and I have a two-part question. Can we talk a little bit about the research you did and whether there was something that surprised you a little bit more um, than you expected, something um, that really stood out to you about either Anne or her political career? And then the second part of that is, through your research, what did you come up with um, theory-wise about why Anne sort of transcended state politics and, and, and was really known on the national sta- stage despite never holding national office. Like, what made her worthy of that sort of notice and what made her worthy of writing and performing a one-woman show about her? Who wants to start? Yeah, I can start with that. Uh, so from my research, I mean, I really... I really dived into the whole world of Ann Richards from watching as many interviews with her as I could. Um, I watched the HBO documentary about her. I read, uh, there. there's a book that's all about her life that goes into every 
every aspect of her family life, her political life. Um, so any anything I could get my hands on, I was devouring. Um, and just really blown away by um, what she did for Texas and what a fierce humanitarian she was and how she really opened the doors of government to all people. And um, I think it's really interesting today, thinking about putting on this show today in 2020 and how we are so divided politically as a nation. And Anne has this beautiful line, Sally has this beautiful line in the show where she talks about every everyone she opened the doors of government to. And then she makes a little quip at the end where she says, and to Republicans as well. <laughs> and she says, yeah, I did that. <laughs> and so, and I think that that is something for today where it really didn't matter to her um, what political party the, the, the person was in as long as they were fighting for the mission and for her mission and for everyone to have a voice. And I think that that's something that really makes her and made her special. And something we talked about in earlier, Laura, was just what a complex person she was and how layered and real she was. She said it how it was. She wasn't putting on a special political face. Um, she just put, up, put her point of view out there and didn't apologize for that so rare today. I, I wanted to, I, I made notes last night while I was doing research for this. She appointed more women and more minorities than any other predecessor. She appointed the first black University of Texas regent, the first crime victim to join the state criminal justice board, the first disabled person to serve on the human services board, and the first teacher to lead, the first teacher to lead the state board of education. Like that was some radical idea. And uh, under Richards, and this is quoting from her um, New York Times obituary, under Richards, the fabled Texas Rangers pinned stars on their first black and female officers, which is, you know, kind of stunning to realize that it was the 90s and that was the first time they had, they had uh, hired uh, African-American and female officers. So she really walked the walk. She really did. All right, what else did you guys learn? Well, I do a lot of visual research for my work, um, so there was, in my research, a lot of looking at what did her office look like, and because our set had these enormous windows um, just behind her desk, a lot of it was how did I, how was I going to light those windows, so what colors, what, what was the color palette going to be, um, and so it was a lot about what did those look like, but also I, I did some research into photo how how photographers shot powerful women and how they lit. So there's a lot of Annie Leibowitz um, photography in my research. So I looked at how Condoleezza Rice was lit, how was Hillary Clinton lit. And so um, some of that worked its way into the lighting design yeah. as well. well and how, how are they lit? Like, over, is there one overwhelming sort of pattern to, to how photographers usually? Um, no, it was just a couple of images that I took inspiration from, yeah. um, specifically one of Condoleezza Rice um, I think she's in the Oval Office with George Bush, and she's kind of side-lit. Mm -hmm. um, and then there was another one of Hillary Clinton standing in front of this really warm-toned window, and I was like, I'm going to use that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that made it in. Um, and also, I just I was really inspired by her because I was um, I was in the Capitol when uh, Wendy Davis did her protest. So oh. um, that was my connection to Cecile Richards, at least. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was very inspired by by her politics and by the whole line about women can bring consensus 
Um, and why should your life be just about you was a really big moment for me um, because I really do want to see more people trying to bring consensus in politics. That must have been a really exciting day to be at the Capitol. That's something to always remember, I bet. It was a pivotal moment yeah. for me, yes. Yeah. Texas politics. I know. <laughs> Sally. Well, I've been... Uh, Anne has been roaming around in my blood now for about, well, about three years because uh, I, I did this show in Houston in 2018, but I had been cast a year ahead. And so, you know, you just start immersing yourself and just sort of letting her kind of bleed into you. And um, I think what um, I think what fascinates me so much about her is what Kim was talking about, this this multi-layered human being. She is not a saint. She doesn't present herself that way. And yet she is an angel. <laughs> she was hard. She, her mother was hard as nails. You know, you don't grow up in that without some of that permeating into the way you deal with people. Um, there, I will confess, there was an early part of my research or period when I was researching that I actually said to my director in Houston, I said, I'm not sure I like her. <laughs> <laughs> because there were some times um, that she could be ugly, really ugly to the people she loved most. Yeah. And that is certainly something that I personally would shudder and, and if, if someone said that about me. But as I got deeper and deeper under the hood, I realized it's not, it was not malicious. I mean, like, there's a, you'll see a whole deal in, in the play where I, I go after this, you know, poor young thing that's uh, made, you know, a little mistake, or just made the mistake of answering the phone, <laughs> frankly. Uh, but it's because I see her potential, and I'm trying to help her. And maybe it wasn't the most uh, gentle uh, nudge, but... It's not, it's not, um, it's, it's not um, with mean-spiritedness, yeah. you know. Yeah. It's with love and care. It's, it's that complexity that we talked about She last is week. who yeah. she is. Yeah. You know, Just you, what you see layers. is what you get. Yeah. Sam? Um, so I'm part of a constituency that I hope comes to see the show, which is younger people who actually hadn't heard of Anne at all before starting this process. Um, so I kind of jumped in cold and was just amazed at, especially when she was growing up in the Depression era, like as she says in the show, um, women just didn't have any resources to get into a career in government or really do anything other than the uh, jobs that were extensions of the expectations of a woman at that time. Um, so just the sheer unlikeliness of her rise uh, the fact that she got embraced by so many people so yeah. late in life. Yeah. Um, it's just, I think I really connect with the story on that level of just like everyone's p potential throughout their lifespan, but also the groundwork that she laid as a kind of community organizer uh, in Austin in the 60s. Um, and just sort of tracing that rise and seeing how that laid the groundwork for so many people I, you know, have heard of mm -hmm. Hillary Clinton and you know, all the amazing leaders since then. Yeah. 
Yeah, she, you know, a lot of times we think, oh, life is winding down once we hit our 50s and 60s, but she really didn't hit her stride until that period of her life, which I find fascinating. I um, did research before I came to talk to you guys and then research for this, and I kept writing things down and I thought this could quickly turn into a podcast where I just read off all the funny things that she said or all the witty <laughs> because she's so quick quick-witted and and so smart um, but I speaking to her complexity and the fact that she is who she is and she never tried to hide that I loved the stories about well didn't love them but I appreciated the stories about um, her alcoholism and going into treatment for that and the um, when her her fam the um, intervention that her family and friends staged, and I read that she walked into her house and here were all her family and friends, and she dropped her purse and said, "What's wrong with the kids?" <laughs> and that just hit me in the heart. I thought, "Wow, you know, such that's immediately what her mind went to." But but um, they were there to talk to talk to her about you know this problem that she had, and she was always so honest about it, which I think we all know can help other people who are struggling with the same issues. So that's. Uh, one thing I really loved reading about with her. Um, you, the, the two designers that we have in the room, I, Sally has talked about some of the challenges uh, that she faces when she's doing a one-woman show, a one-person show. Are there challenges for you guys with that? Um, or, or, And if not, what were some of the challenges for this show that you faced? Um. So the, this show, every show is different. This show had kind of three parts to the sound design. There was, uh, there's a character called Nancy, who's the only other character in the show who is not physically on stage and had to be represented in some way by an offstage speaker. And so that was probably the biggest, like, didn't know how to handle that coming into the room yeah. and just sort of had to try stuff out. At one point, Nancy was a real person in another room. At one point, Nancy was a booming voice over the main PA. <laughs> one point... The thing we ended up with is Nancy's over an intercom, and I think it sounds really good. It does sound good. I, I heard it at rehearsal the other night. Who is that plant? Who is doing the voice? Of That's that? Rebecca Rivas. Oh, it is. Yes. I, I knew it was familiar, but I couldn't quite place it. It was yeah. funny to see Rebecca in the audience kind of squirming <laughs> at her performance, having never heard it before in yeah. front of an audience. But I think it's great. Yeah. Um, so that was a big challenge. And then just managing tension and uh, payoff and catharsis is like kind of the other big job of the sound designer and um we're st that's still an evolving process mm -hmm. uh figuring out what needs underscoring and what doesn't originally we were planning on a lot of uh kind of incidental music uh we were going to create for the show and at the end of the day the the words and the script and the human narrative are so much more important than adding in any yeah. extra feeling yeah so sometimes it's knowing what not to put into it as much as knowing what to put Yes, into and, and for, for my job, going in with way more than you need so you can take <laughs> things away rather than having to add them in at the last minute. Yeah, I can see that. Megan, was were there any particular challenges? Um, I tend to actually be the opposite. I tend to go in, well, I, I tend to uh, go in with less so that when Kim says, can we have more? <laughs> and there's a lot of more to add. Um, but uh, the challenges for a one-woman show, uh, specifically for uh, me, are that um, there's, a, there's only one person to watch on stage, and a lot of my job is how do I create a composition on stage that I'm, um, as an audience member, wanting to look at. A lot of lighting design is like painting, and I'm wanting to create something that is 
has a focal point, basically, isn't just a whole bunch of light on stage, um, and that is interesting from moment to moment to look at. And if there's only one person on stage, do I have light cues that change with her movement? Um, and how distracting does that get? Um, so how subtle do we make it? Uh, and how difficult does that get if we're following her around stage? You know, it's, so it, it becomes this really weird balancing act because Anne's not a abstract play with like a lot of light cues and weird light. It's very realistic. Mm -hmm. um, so it just becomes this balancing act between um, how much of that we put in. How long will you two stick around after the show opens? We leave tomorrow. You do leave tomorrow. <laughs> and and over the last um, two uh, preview performances, do you do you watch to sort of see if any tweaks need to be made? Yeah, and the audience impacts everything. Yeah. Um, seeing how people react. Sometimes, like we had during the first preview, people were confused by a sound cue, mm. so we took it out. Yeah. And the advantage of doing this work over a long process, this isn't that long, but um, over a week, is that you can sort of do a lot of work early on, get less attached to it, and then get rid of it if it doesn't work. Yeah. So you have to be very unsentimental about it. <laughs> That's a lot like being a journalist, actually. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Having to cut a bunch of stuff you don't want to cut. Um, so I watched an interview that Anne gave in t uh, 2013 to the Texas Politics Project. I'm sure all of you guys have seen this interview. Um, she's listing off some of the progressive gains uh, specifically that women have made over the last decades, and a lot of them she's responsible for. And um, the interviewer says, well, you sound satisfied. And I, she, it was like, she came back at him just like that, and she said, I'm hardly satisfied. I'm outraged most of the time at how the progress seems to stall. And I thought, boy, that's her in a nutshell right there. Can, can you talk a little bit about how, about her legacy? You talked a little bit about this um, for, as, as someone younger, um, her legacy, what it means today, uh, especially in the political climate that we find ourselves in. I can speak just a little to that. Um, frankly, I think Sam's sort of exhortation or, or invitation to um, the Northwest Arkansas uh, audience is to come see her because sadly there is a line I have that was is, is said with enormous pride uh, and it's also true that I rang, as Ann, I rang a bell that could never be unrung. Yeah. Well, sadly, it's been unrung. And so um, sadly some of her um, you know, forward movement um, not only has plateaued, but it has been moved back. And so, you know, government and life, it, it's a pendulum. You know, it just swings back and forth. But what she's in trying to inspire us to do is to get out there and participate. Yeah. And if you have complaints, fine, but do something about it. Mm -hmm. You know, and and find consensus. You know, that's what life's about. You know, I wish we all could get our own way all the time. You know, but we're not three-year-olds. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I would say she really encourages us all, like you said, Sally, to participate and mm -hmm. to have a voice mm -hmm. and to own that voice and to not let political differences get in the way. And I find that really inspiring. And I think her message at the end of the show is also about loving 
It's about loving yourself, betting on yourself, mm -hmm. and using the support of your family and friends to live your best life, um, which, which to me is such an inspiring, hopeful message. It's a really optimistic way to end the podcast. Um, you guys already have sold out shows, so people need to hurry and get their tickets right away because they're going fast, it sounds like. The show runs through March 29th, Wednesdays through Saturday at 7.30, Saturday and Sundays at 2.30. And uh, I want to mention Lights Up for Access because we love a theater that wants to make sure that all members of the community um, have access to theater. Uh, theater Squared has a 30 under 30 program where uh, people under the age of 30 can get tickets for $10. And then families who qualify for federal SNAP benefits and nonprofit organizations serving low-income community members can receive either free or reduced price tickets. So if any of those apply to you, don't hesitate to contact Theater Squared for more information. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much.